Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all doing very well. And for everyone who's at home as well, I hope you're doing good. We have a bit of a full house here today, so it's nice to see a lot of people. So uh, we've been going through this series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and today we will continue with chapter 7. So I would like to invite you to open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, if you have on your phones, to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we are going to read from verse 14 all the way to verse 29. So it's Ecclesiastes 7, 14 to 29. And it says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Do not be overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise men more than ten rulers who are in the city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all of these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because we are able to be here tonight and to worship you and listen to your word. Uh, may you guide us as we go through this passage. May our hearts be transformed by what you have to say so that we may grow in maturity and more in the likeness of Christ. That's what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, 
Several weeks ago, Matt asked me to preach on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said, yeah, I'm available. That, that'll be fun to do. And usually my, my thought process when I go about to prepare my sermon is that on the previous Monday, I will sit and I'll read the biblical text and then I'll spend some time reflecting on it and gathering some thoughts to begin to try to see what's going on here. And this week I did the same thing. So on Monday I, I sat down, I read the passage, and when I was about to reflect on the passage, the only phrase that could come to my mind was, what in the world is going on in this text? <laughs> And I was like trying to gather my thoughts. And I was like, I have no thoughts. I, I don't know what is happening here. And so this may be even like a word of encouragement to you as you see people come to the front to preach. And then sometimes you, you also may have this experience when you read the Bible and you say, I, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, so you can be encouraged in knowing that we also go through the same thing on our daily lives. Uh, but I think there are uh, some things in this text that is, that's very beneficial to us. Uh, like what Matt's been saying in the past weeks, uh, one term that appears over and over again in Ecclesiastes is vanity. Vanity of vanities is the havel. And one of the uh, specialist that I was reading about this term, he was explaining that uh, it's not really vanity that's the, the meaning of the term. It's more uh, about uh, elusiveness or, or it's something that's difficult to grasp, like vapor, that you try to understand, but it, it doesn't seem to make sense. It's like a fog. Uh, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, he will repeat this over and over again, that things feel like vapor, that you try to understand, you try to make sense of it all, and, and you can't. It feels like a, like a fog. And in this passage, it's the same thing as well. So what I would like to do here, or the journey we're going to take in this passage, is going to take us through... Uh, let's say, four acts, more or less. So, and in the first act, we're going to start uh, kind of a, like a, on a downer note, which already for a lot of people is a stumbling block to think about uh, God and love and how to live a godly life in a world like ours. But then in the second act, it's going to be even worse it's like even more down. And then for a lot of people, like, yeah, that, that, that's a difficult thing to struggle. And then by the third act, we're going to go down like all the way to the bottom. Where a lot of people just, we're just going to be like, oh, just kill me now. Because I, I, this is really bad. But then when we're like right at the bottom, like at the worst moment, that's when we're going to find grace. And then we're going to start to climb up. So I just, I gave you an overview so that you won't think like, oh, we're just going downhill, like all the way to the end. 
So, uh, the first act or the first moment, uh, it's verse 14. And I call this the elusiveness of life. He says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So what the preacher wants us to do in this first moment is to understand that life consists of good days as well as bad days. And that's for everyone. Doesn't matter how good or bad we are. And what he wants us to do is on the days of uh, joy or prosperity for us to, to enjoy them, to, you know, to, to use them as much as we can. And when those difficult days come, he wants us to consider that God is still above those situations. He is above the good days as well as the bad days. And this perhaps gives us some ground in this elusiveness of life. Because sometimes you may feel like this when you're going through, a, through like a bad season. Uh, as a believer, you might think, ah, oh, what, what's going on? I thought I was doing everything correct, but life doesn't seem to be going my way. And the preacher keeps saying, yeah, life is, is a bit elusive. It's not that black and white. You have good things and bad things happening simultaneously. <coughs> and I feel like this season has been quite the lesson for us uh, in this, with this whole uh, thing with the, with the virus and, and also the, the advices uh, on what we should do and what we should not do. I remember I was watching, uh, I, I think it was like, like a TV series, and there is this one scene where the guy is sitting on the kitchen table, it's for breakfast, and he's about to eat an egg, and his future self comes, and he says, oh, don't, don't eat the egg, because that, that's bad for you. Then he's like, oh, okay. And then his future self vanishes, then his future self appears again, but like in a different world. So it's like for even more from the future. And then he says, oh, wait, you, actually you should eat the egg because it's actually good for you. And then he's like, oh, okay. Then that happens again, then he says, oh no, actually we find out that you shouldn't eat the egg. Or, or just the white part, not the yellow one in the middle because that, that's the bad one. And then he's like, okay. And then he appears like, a fourth time, he's like, no, actually, you should eat like three eggs, because the eggs are really good for you. And I felt like this season was a bit like this. Like, right when this whole thing started, uh, it was like, oh, everyone stay inside. I'm like, okay, I'll stay inside. No, actually, go outside, because outside is pretty nice, and it, nothing will happen. Oh, okay, so I'll go outside. Oh, but wear a mask. Oh, okay. Oh, no, actually, don't wear a mask. That kind of doesn't work. I'm like, okay. And then, oh, no, actually, wear two masks. So I felt like this whole season, like, man, what is it? So life feels elusive. It doesn't feel like so certain. And the, the preacher wants us to, to realize this. He wants us to know that uh, even as believers, 
you know, life is, is not always certain. We don't always know what's going to happen on our day-to-day life. And for, pe- for some people, that can be a stumbling block because they will have this perception of religion as well as Christianity that if you're with Jesus, if you're with God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And the, the preacher will say, life will prove you wrong. It, when you live your day-to-day life, you'll have good days and you'll have uh, bad days. But then he goes to the second act and then he like takes a turn for the worse. Uh, and I would say this part goes from verse 15 all the way to verse 23. And he says, in my vain life, and this vein is this elusive vapor-like life, I have seen everything. And the question is, what did he see? There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So he said, so it's not even that you will have good days and you'll have bad days. In the real life that we live in, sometimes good people will suffer and bad people will prosper. And he says, we, we have to be able to face this. If we, if we try to live out a relationship with God as a, kind of an idea that uh, if I'm with God, no, the good people will always prosper in this life and the bad people will always take a turn for the worse. And this is life. It, no, life will teach you the real lesson. And so what does the preacher say when he realizes, when he sees around him good people uh, suffering and bad people prospering? He says something very strange. He says, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. That's when I, like in my reflection that I said, what in the world is he saying? Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So this kind of saying is something that appears in in the type of genre that Ecclesiastes uh, belongs to, which which is wisdom literature. You have, uh, in, in the Bible, you have, for example, Proverbs, you have Job, you have Ecclesiastes. They're all part of this wisdom literature. And the book of Job is one that deals a lot with good people who suffer and bad people who, who prosper in life. And if you remember the story of Job, what happens is that he was a, a good guy who was going through some really bad situations. And then he has a couple, uh, like a few friends that come and what do they t- tell him? They say, look, you, you have to be more righteous. You have to be like this super righteous guy because there must be something wrong in your life. Because if there wasn't anything wrong in your life, this wouldn't, been, this wouldn't have been happening. And Job is struggling with this because he said, well, I, I didn't do anything bad for this to happen. 
So the thing is, it's with this uh, theology of retribution that if I do something good, then good things will happen. And, and if there is something bad in my life, it's just because I'm not being righteous enough and I have to strive to be more and more and more. And then it all depends on me to, to like get things together. And the preacher says, that, 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 that won't help. And if you go like, if you look at the, the story of scripture, and it, by the time you get to the, to the life of Jesus, you will see how the people of God had, had worked out this retribution theology. They had over 600 laws to be able to keep a righteous life. And the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, oh, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. And it was like this huge burden for people to try to live out a perfect life. And still a lot of bad things happen to them. If you know first century history with the Jewish people there, the year 70 was a horrible year for them. When the Romans invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So all that super righteous attempt to live out this perfect life so that things here would be okay didn't work for them. But the preacher also says, because he says, well, there's this potential of you trying to be this perfect person in order that everything in life will be perfect. He says, there is the problem here. But there's also the problem of you going all the way over to the other side saying, well, since if I try to be like this perfect being and nothing good will happen to me, then I'll just live out my life any way I want. I will entertain all of my desires and I'll do whatever I want. And then the preacher says, no, don't, don't be overly wicked as well because that, that will make you die before your time. So he says, all, all this, and I think what he's trying to boil down to, like his main argument, is that if you depend on yourself to do the good things or bad things, trying to find a balance, if you depend on yourself to have a good life, uh, th that's not going to work out for you. We, we can't depend on ourselves to do this. So, so what's left? The preacher says, uh, the only way to come out of this, uh, in verse 18, he says, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So it is the fear of God. It is the, the acknowledgement that God is above us, that he is sovereign, that he has control of things. That is what sustains us uh, in this life and what sustains us in the good days as well as in the bad days. And that's what will sustain us when we see this injustice in the world of good people suffering and bad people prospering. And in this situation, the preacher says that wisdom is still good. We, sh we should still seek out wisdom. He says, wisdom gives strength to the wise men. More than 10 rulers who are in the city. But then he takes a little turn. And I think here he's making a transition to the third act. On verse 20, he says, surely... 
There is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So he says we, we should seek out wisdom and to live out our lives in the best way possible under the authority and sovereignty of God. But we should acknowledge that there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And then he gives an example. He says, uh, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. He says, don't pay too much attention to what people say because then you'll hear your servant, whom you care for, actually cursing you. And then, and what's the problem with this? He says, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So here he begins to point out something about our, our attempt to seek out uh, justice in face of injustice. That we, we see the wrongdoings and we want to point out all these wrongdoings. And there's always the potential of us not realizing that sin doesn't affect only the other, but also affects us. I told you it's going to was going to go down this way. And then the preacher, he goes like all the way to the bottom. He says, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. And then he says like a really cool phrase. And to know the wickedness, the folly and the foolishness that is madness. I like this. feels like a very like Tolkien phrase to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness so the preacher sees the reality of life he sees that there are good days he sees that there are bad days he sees that good people who try to do good they suffer he sees that bad people who do wicked things they prosper and he sees that in, in this whole relationship of society, uh, we are all affected by this thing we call sin. And if there is a, a book I could uh, recommend to you, it's one by Cornelius Plantinga. It's called uh, Not the Way It Was Supposed to Be, where he, he, it's a study on sin. And Plantinga, he says that sin is not just a, a series of bad things that we do that displeases God. He says, sin is the disruption of shalom. Because shalom is this perfection of when you look at Genesis 1, when God created the world, he made everything harmonious and full of life and everything was balanced and it was great. And when sin comes, it disrupts this peace. And it affects not only creation, but it affects human beings as well. And it's very interesting if you look at the, the text in Genesis 3, when you have the fall of men, how, how both Adam, Adam and Eve behaves in the story. Because once they eat the fruit, God appears walking in the garden, and then he calls out to Adam, and he says, Adam, where are you? He says, oh, I'm here. I was hiding 
because I saw that I was naked. And then he, tur- he then God tells Adam, who, who told you you were naked? And so here is the moment for Adam to like fess up and say, yeah, I, I ate the fruit that I know I wasn't supposed to eat. And, but what does he do? It was the woman that you created for me. She was the one who did this to me. So what does he do? Instead of owning up to his problem, he actually blames not only Eve, but also God himself who created Eve. And then God, before saying anything to him, he turns to Eve and he says, Eve, what did you do? And then instead of Eve fessing up and saying, yeah, I listened to the serpent and I ate the fruit. She says, it was the serpent in the garden. She behaves in the same way. So both of them behaving, playing this blame game of, oh, it was actually them that did this bad thing and I was just like a victim. They just, just went along because they told me to do this and they, you created them, so that, that's your problem. And then you see their shalom being disrupted. Then God starts to place several curses. Then he will go in a reverse order on the serpent, on the woman, and on man, and then in all of creation. And then the reality of life in, in the world of Ecclesiastes is this world that is corrupt and and disrupted with this shalom being disrupted and so the preacher says uh, on verse 26 he says I find something more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters he who pleases God escapes her but the sinner is taken by her Here, the woman here in this passage is a kind of symbol for wickedness that appears in wisdom literature all the time. It's about being seduced by wickedness and uh, giving yourself over to to temptations and, and wickedness. And then the preacher says, he who pleases God escapes this temptation, this wickedness. And then he's going to quote a proverb that was happening around that time. He says, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. And then here's the proverb that would uh, be common uh, in that time. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all of these I have not found. And so the preacher says, look, you know the proverb. You know that to seek out the wickedness, uh, our tendency is to blame the wickedness, is to blame the ones that tempted us, is to blame the seduction that came upon us, and we are just the victims in this whole process. The problem is there, it's not here. And then what is the conclusion of the of the preacher, which is the last verse, uh, 29, he says, see this alone I found, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many schemes. 
So what the preacher is saying here, he says, see, the problem is not the temptation there or the seduction there that tries to entice you to do wickedness. He says, the, the problem is that God made men, and here man is humanity. He made humanity upright. But we all have sought out many schemes. So in this vapor-like life where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, uh, we, we always, we may feel tempted to uh, seek to pursue justice in this broken world. And we should do this. But, but a preacher doesn't want us to be naive in thinking that the problem is only out there and it's never here. He says the problem is here. It's in all of us. Because for him, there is not a righteous man on earth. So you see, now we're all the way here to the bottom. Now you may be thinking like, okay, so what do we do? If, if life is as vapor-like as you say, and if we're all tainted by sin, and if no, no one of us is righteous, then what do we do? What's, what's left for us? Then what we need to do, I would argue, is that we need to have a Christological lens in this whole situation. And for this, in order to have this Christological lens or this Christ-centered lens, we need to go to the time of Christ and see what he says about things like this, about the situation of this corrupt and complicated world where no one is righteous. So I would like to invite you to look briefly with me at Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew 9, from verses 9 to 13, is where we will find the grace in this corrupt situation. Here Jesus has just uh, healed a paralytic. And so he performed this miracle and the crowd was, saw all that happened and they, they were afraid, but they glorified God at the same time. And then in verse 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And, and so here, why is Matthew sitting at the tax booth? Because he was a tax collector. And if you know anything about history in the first century uh, setting, tax collectors were not people that Jewish people particularly liked. Because usually the tax collectors, they would collect the taxes from the Jewish people to give to Rome. And, but they also needed to make some money, so they would charge more tax than was necessary from the people to keep some money from them. So tax collectors weren't people that were particularly pleasing. And Jesus sees this 
apparently corrupt, non-righteous men, and he says, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And the text continues and says, as, the, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus, as a rabbi, as a teacher, he not only asks this tax collector to follow him, but he sits at the table with tax collectors and sinners. All people who apparently are not righteous, who are part of the, this elusive vapor-like world. And when the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees being those who you have to strive to be perfect here so that you can attain the kingdom. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And here, it's not the disciples that answer the question. It's Jesus himself that answers the questions. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. And here it's important to notice what Jesus says. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So you see, Jesus acknowledges that life is it's elusive and it's tricky and there's a lot of things uh, bad that happen. And he acknowledges that sin has tainted all of our lives. But what he says is, I, I didn't come to condemn all these people. I came to call them. I can... I can be the foundation that from which they can live a righteous life. So his invitation to all of us is to follow him. That's the, the way out of this mess. And it's interesting that he says, I desire, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because one thing that concerns me in our current, uh, let's say, social moment is that there is a lot of talk about justice and seeking out justice in a injustice world. And we should seek out justice. But I think there is always the danger that in this process, we are forgetting that sin has tainted all of us. And unlike Jesus, who went out against all of this in mercy and grace, there is always the danger in us pursuing justice today that we do it mercilessly and gracelessly. So what Jesus is trying to say for us is, look, I know our situation is dire, but follow me. 
I offer you mercy and I offer you grace. And as you go into the world that is broken, as you go into this world where good people suffer and bad people prosper, offer mercy and grace to them and offer them to hear my voice that says, follow me. And I think that's what Jesus would tell us about how to live in a world full of uh, vapor-like settings. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we will pray, and then they'll lead us in a couple of songs. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you because your word is not, doesn't paint an unrealistic life. It doesn't show us that uh, by following you, life here will all be roses and that we won't go through any adversities. But instead, your word shows us that even though we are all tainted by sin and we've been affected by sin. Uh, You came to us and you offer your hand and says, follow me. And you offer us mercy and grace. May we be reminded of this and may we show this to others, to those who we love, to those who we disagree with on any number of things, even to those that we may also hate, that we may offer them your message of mercy and grace for them to follow you. Amen.